The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Haggai is one of the people that we call um, minor prophets, um, and that's not because they had a small role in, in God's plan. It's because they wrote very little. Um, they, they, the message that they proclaimed was, was small in size. Haggai is almost at the end of the New Testament. Also today, um, most of our texts that we're going to talk about are going to be on the screen as we've done over the last, um, over the last several months. So my wife asked me when we watched that video, she said, was that the day it was really cold? Because you guys look like you're overdressed. Um, well, that was because the week before it was like 82 million below zero, um, I think was the actual temperature. Um, so we were all making sure that we had enough clothes on um, for that Friday. If you would like to help distribute food this Friday, um, come and see me afterwards. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do is have several different uh, food distribution points throughout Scotts Bluff as, as we've kind of talked about what we feel like God is doing among the pastors and churches in town. Um, we want to not just have food available for people who are mobile, but we want to be able to take food to where um, people are. That was sort of something, something that you saw at the end of that video as people were going house to house. So we're just trying to think um, how, can we, how can we build on what God is doing by taking food actually to people? So if that's something that you're interested in helping with, um, it's just a couple hours on Friday morning. Um, please come and see me afterwards. Um, I just wanna encourage you to do that. So I love talking about the prophets. The prophets in the Bible are, um, are some of my, that's like my favorite genre of literature in the Bible. And one reason um, for that is because they, they don't get a lot of airtime. When we do talk about the prophets, maybe we'll hear from Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel, but we rarely talk about these minor prophets. Several years ago, just for my personal reading time, I, I went through the minor prophets and I was just astounded by what they had to say to the people of their time. And I was also introduced to, to a new name for God that I had never really heard before because I never read the minor prophets. And then my favorite name for God is the Lord of heaven's armies. And that when I think about that phrase, I just think of how God is victorious. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. And if you read through the minor prophets, you're gonna see that phrase a number of times. So, so here's what's happening in this story, in this 30,000 uh, foot view that we have been painting for you over the last several weeks. God's people have entered into the promised land and they begin to function as a nation. Right, and here's what that means: they um, they collect taxes, they raise an army, they begin to build things, and they have rulers, they have kings, um, and it's not it's not long, and by not long, I mean literally three like three and a half kings in, three and a half kings in the the United Nation, the the thing that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, this, this nation that has been, that has finally received what God had for them, this united nation splits into two. 
splits into the north, that's Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. And they're, they're doing temple worship. They're still gathering in Jerusalem. But these little things start to happen. Remember I said last week, when the people went into the promised land, they didn't, they didn't clear everyone out like they were supposed to. And I know that probably caused, causes you some, some ethical concerns. And it causes me some moral and ethical concerns. But the bottom line is, is the people did not do what God had called them to do. And the thing that God promised would happen when they didn't do what he told them to do began to happen. All of these, all of these other people groups and their religions, they, they began to merge with Judaism. They began, um, they were still worshiping at the temple, but they began also to worship some of the false gods of the people of that nation. And, and that influence not only influenced them as a nation, but it influenced them as a religion. And time and time again, the kings of the North Kingdom and the kings of the Southern Kingdom um, exercised autonomy. They exercised agency. They didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. And God responded. He responded in the way that he has responded up to this point, he responded with mercy and kindness and grace. He responded through the prophets. He sent a group of people to go to God's people, to go to the kings, to go to the priests, to go to the people, and to speak truth and to speak justice to them. So they would turn back to proclaim this truth over what was happening, to draw their eyes back to God, so that they would repent of their sins. And, the pro and you wouldn't know this from the way most Bibles are constructed. This is, this is one of the reasons why I really like that immerse reading Bible that I have. Because what it does is it divides the prophets up um, sort of historically. Like when you read through the prophets now, it kind of jumps all over the place. Because they're arranged from longest to shortest books. But that's not, that's not historically accurate, right? So the prophets are divided up really into four different, um, four different categories. The first one is the, the northern kingdom is going to be taken over by Assyria, right? So eventually there's going to be a group of prophets that are going to be talking to the people of Israel. They're going to say, you need to repent. You need to turn. You need to go back to God. We need to be the people that God has called us to. And if we're not, we're going to be punished. Well, that was Assyria. The next set of prophets were people who were prophets after the northern kingdom fell, but before the southern kingdom fell. Does that make sense? So these people here have seen what has happened up north, and they're telling the kings and the priests and the people, I don't know if you're paying attention, but something bad is going to happen to us if we don't turn. Here's the third set of prophets. The third set of our prophets are people, uh, prophets of the exile. That's after Babylon comes in and takes over the southern kingdom. Because this won't be a surprise to you if you've been here the last several weeks. The kingdom in the south didn't listen, right? They saw everything that was happening up north. And this is what we're gonna talk about today. They ignored it. They didn't care. They didn't think that God was really that mad at them. It wasn't that big of a deal, 
And then there was a group of prophets that were speaking to those who were in exile after they had been taken to Babylon. And then there's the fourth set of prophets, and most of them took place after the people returned from Babylon. Because here's what happened. Um, Babylon uh, eventually took over Assyria as well in this judgment action. And that's also what we talked about last week. We, we hear how the Israelites rolled into the promised land and waged total war. And that was because of God judging those people who had had hundreds and hundreds of years to turn from their sin. Well, Israel was no different. If you don't turn from your sin, you're gonna be judged. So let's, what I've done is I've just picked four prophets that are sort of a demonstration of each of the prophets in those categories. And I'm already behind in my time, so let's talk about Amos. Um, let's talk about Amos uh, today. When Amos was serving as prophet, Jeroboam II reigned in Israel and Uzziah reigned in Judah. And in the book of Amos, what he does is he begins this, he begins this full-on rant talking about the wickedness of all of the people around them. He was talking about the people of Damascus and Gaza and Tyre. And that's what we like to do, right? We like to complain about everything else, all the things that other people are doing. We like to point out the wickedness and the falsehoods of everyone else. And it's really easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to rage about the sins of others, especially when we're feeling bad for our own sin. I know that's my first play. That's the first lie that I tell myself when, when I'm guilty of sin and I start to get into that self-pity and self-absorption, I go very quickly to, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people, right? And that's what's happening in Amos. This helps us feel good about ourselves in the midst of our own confidence and complacency and self-righteousness. It allows us to feel good But Amos isn't just prophesying about the other nations. He's prophesying about Israel. And in chapters four and five of the book of Amos, he says that you have specific sins, Israel. You oppress the poor and you crush the needy. You worship false gods, but you brag about your religious devotion You oppress people through bribes. You deprive them of justice. You hate people. You hate those who tell the truth. You twist justice and you teach the righteous like dirt. See, Amos Amos flips the mirror on them and says, as bad as these people are, you are worse. You're evil. And then in Amos 5.13, and this is gonna be on the screen, some of my favorite, my, some of my favorite texts in the Bible are from the um, minor prophets. So those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. Do what is good and run from evil, so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper. There's that phrase. Just as you have claimed, right? People claim they want God to be their helper, but they don't want to do what He says. Hate evil, love what is good, turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. See, Amos is trying to get the people to look internally, to try and have them evaluate their own sin in the way that they are treating other people. 
When I was young, my, we had a saying around our house. It was, if you don't have anything nice to say, say it. No, it was say it with sarcasm. That was the Mulholland way. <laughs> the real phrase is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Here's the thing. God, through Amos, is not saying that. He is not saying, just keep those evil thoughts in your heads, people of Israel. He's saying, don't have them. See, because God is not interested in morality. That's what, that's what if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. That's morality, right? We look at people like that and we're like, oh, they're so good. But in their minds, you're raging against every other person. See, that's morality, and that's not what God wants for us. He wants to be honest about the sin that dwells within inside of us, within each one of us. He wants us to lament. He doesn't want us to just feel bad, but he wants us to repent of our sins. And unless we, unless we are willing to look openly and honestly within ourselves, what we should just do, friends, fellow Christians, what we should just do is keep our mouths shut. And not judge the people who aren't like us. We should just keep our mouths shut. What I want to do is I want to give you a moment to reflect. We're going to put a text up on the screen. This is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want you to just take a moment and reflect on that text. Here's the next prophet we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about the prophet Zephaniah. Assyria has attacked the northern kingdom of Israel and has defeated them. They've carried off people into exile, but the southern kingdom does something really well. They, they name a king by the name of Josiah, who's eight years old. Eight years old. I don't know what you were doing when you were eight. But being a king was not... Well, I thought I was the king of my own kingdom. All eight-year-olds do, right? This one just had that come true. He's on the throne, and 18 years later, the, the priest is in the temple, and he discovers the book of the law in the temple. I want you to just press pause and just imagine that for a second. All right, at the end of this month, I will have been here for four years. Imagine in 14 years, if someone came into this room and found a Bible and brought it to me and said, hey, we've been doing this all wrong for the last 18 years. Like we would have a problem with that, right? If the Bible hadn't been talked about in this place for 18 years, that's exactly what is happening when Josiah is king. There was no book of the law. If you remember back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, when the kings came into power, one of the things they were supposed to do, remember, they were supposed to hand copy their own version of the law in the presence of a priest so the priest could make sure they got it right. Well, it sounds like that sure wasn't happening. 
So why would the people in any way, shape, or form be obedient to God when they're not even hearing his law, when they're not even hearing his word? So Josiah begins to implement all of these religious reforms. He's 26, filled with, you know, vim, vigor, and vitality, and he begins to destroy idols and destroy shrines and destroy all of these altars to the false gods that people had been worshiping for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I just have to ask you, how do you think that went for him? Think about if you have church baggage, I have church baggage. Think about the way the churches, churches have fought over the color of carpet or the location of a communion table in a room. These people have been, have been worshiping falsely for hundreds and hundreds of years. And Josiah is, thinks he's gonna, he's gonna change that. Well, this won't be a surprise to you, but... Um, the people didn't respond well, to put it lightly. They just kept worshiping the same gods they'd always worshiped. You can read all of this in the book of Zephaniah, by the way, which I recommend you do. They kept worshiping the same way they had been worshiping. They, they built houses that they would never live in. They planted vineyards that they would never drink wine from. They accumulated silver and gold that would never save them. And in Zephaniah chapter two, I'm gonna put this on the screen. Zephaniah says this, gather together. Yes, gather together, you shameless nation. Gather before judgment begins, before your time to repent is blown away like chaff. Act now before the fierce fury of the Lord falls and the terrible day of the Lord's anger begins. Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow his commands. Seek to do what is right and live humbly. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you, protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. See, Zephaniah was calling the people to repent of their sin because the northern kingdom had already fallen. And a little later, if you read this in Zephaniah, he says something like, didn't you even see what happened to Israel? Do you want this same thing for yourself? And all they did was fall further and further and further into denial. They ignored what God was saying to them. Despite the witness of Assyria coming in and taking over the northern kingdom, they just weren't interested because they wanted to worship their way. And a question that we have to ask ourselves is how do we respond when God convicts us? There's gonna be a question, reflection moment on the screen. We're gonna take a minute and think about that. Once we know what our sins are, God calls his people to repent. Take a moment and confess your sins to God this morning. So of all of the prophets, 
Ezekiel's probably my favorite. He's not a minor prophet. He's a major prophet, but Ezekiel is probably my favorite. Prophets have a really tough job. They're to be truth tellers regardless of the responses of those who hear it. If they don't tell the truth to those who need to hear this truth, they're gonna be held accountable and responsible for the spiritual deaths of those they did not tell the truth to. I wanna make sure you heard that. You can read this in Ezekiel again. Ezekiel is a longer book. But several times throughout the book of Ezekiel, God says something like this. You have a responsibility to tell other people that they are going to die spiritually unless they change their lives. And if you don't do your job, Ezekiel, you are going to pay. But then he says this. Ezekiel, if you do do your job and they don't listen, it is not on you. Your hands are clear, God tells Ezekiel. And then this little phrase that is in Ezekiel, I think five or six times, it says this, and they will know that a prophet has been among them. They will know that a prophet has been among them. The southern kingdom has now fallen and many of its people, including Ezekiel, imagine that, including Ezekiel are taken off to Babylon. And Ezekiel, this is in the very first uh, chapter, the very first verse of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is sitting, in a, sitting by the river in Babylon when God gives him this vision. And from Babylon, Ezekiel tells his people, okay, you're, we're gonna return home. Okay, first, first things first. You need to know in about 70 years, we're going back home. But here's, here's the thing. When we get home, you have to live differently. You have to be different. Because we will have gone through this tremendous hardship, this tremendous judgment of God. And you can't just go home and be the same people that you always were. And I feel like, this is why I like Ezekiel. I can identify with Ezekiel. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Like when we leave here on a Sunday morning, like we're called to be different. When we hear God's word speaking truth to us, like, this is supposed to impact our lives. We cannot, we cannot leave here the same people that we were when we arrived. That doesn't mean that every week we have an epiphany. But what it means is, is, is we've encountered God together as a body. And we're called to be impacted by that. We talked about that in this series as well. The people's relationship with God was supposed to impact every aspect of their lives. Not just Sunday morning. But what do we do outside of this place? Through Ezekiel, God condemns them for their wealth and their prestige. He tells them their money won't save them. In fact, he says they're going to be disgusted by their money. I wonder sometimes when you think about just the materialism of the West, are you ever bothered by it? 
Are you ever disgusted by the fact that realistically speaking, every person in this room is certainly in the top 5% of the world when it comes to income. Does that, bo- like, does that bother you? Are you upset by that? He says, this was really interesting. He says, you will be filled with anxiety and fear as everything that you have clung to is taken from you. Anyone identify with that over the last 11 months? The way we've orchestrated our lives around ourselves and our own comfort. And then along comes COVID-19 and all of the things that we were so sure of were taken from us. The hearts of the leaders are idle factories. And I don't mean I-D-L-E, like lazy. I mean idle, I-D-O-L. Creating idols. Their hearts were idol factories. Their rules and regulations never solved the problems of their wicked hearts, no matter how hard they tried. Does that sound familiar to us? Foreigners were treated with contempt. Like this is just the Bible. This is what God's people were judged for. But they loved going to temple. Let's read Ezekiel 33. Verses 30 to 33. Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at the doors. God is talking to Ezekiel here, by the way. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You're very entertaining to them. Like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. And when all these terrible things happen to them, as they certainly will, then they will know a prophet has been among them. It's probably easy for you to see why I like Ezekiel so much feel that tension as a pastor for not just four years here, but for going on 20. To stand in front of people and be in relationship with people for whom this text just speaks so much truth. If I were saying this to you, what I would say, and you've heard me say this before, church is a terrible hobby. It's a terrible hobby. There are so many other things that if this were my hobby, I would rather be doing. I'm not talking to you if you are new here, okay? I'm not talking to you if you're trying to figure out who God is. I'm not talking to you if you are, if you are coming from a place of pain and a lot of church baggage and you just wanna rest. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people for whom you've been here for decades and there's just no life change. This is a, this is a terrible hobby. See, 
God is interested in us being different. God is interested in us being changed and transformed and living the life that he has for us, not to just sit in a room where occasionally I say something mildly humorous or to be entertained by a music team. Like, that's just not why we're here. It's not the purpose of it. It's a matter of life and death. These are people who have been, who have been exiled. And God has something to say to them. Let's reflect for a minute. Ezekiel was called to proclaim truths that the people didn't want to hear. Have you ignored the words of godly men and women in your own life? So after 70 years of exile, the people leave Babylon and they return home. This is, uh, this is Haggai, verses one, chapter one, verses one to 11. This is not on the screen. I'd love for you to follow along in your Bible or on your app. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time's not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. See, this is a warning. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Can you imagine coming home from 70 years of exile? Knowing what obedience looks like and just not caring? I mean, of course we can. Because I know we're sinful people. And that's why the Bible is timeless and it is timely. 
That's why the Bible is for people of every age. It's not just for them, but it's for us. I wonder as we, as we come out of our exile of the last 11 months, this isn't a pledge drive. I'm not gonna ask you for money. But I am gonna say this. We're coming out of exile. What are we gonna do as a church? How are we gonna serve? How are we going to respond? The great news in the book of Haggai is that people respond and they build a temple. And God goes to them, and this is on the screen. God goes to them and he tells them that this temple that they've rebuilt is actually a hollow um, reflection of the original building. How'd you like to hear that from God? Hey, go build a temple. He goes and build, they go and build a temple. They put it all together and God's like, Becky's favorite phrase, not like that. Here's what God says. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So don't be afraid, for this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land, I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. That's like six of them in this, chat, in this verse alone. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Here's what, here's what God is saying through Haggai. There's a shakeup coming. There's something coming. You built this temple. It doesn't look the same as the old temple. But there's something that's coming. Two months later, God says this, I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. Their horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. There's something coming. I know you've built this temple and it doesn't seem like much, partly because I told you as much, but there's something amazing that's coming. I am doing something. See, God is gonna bring a level of glory to the temple in a little over 500 years from this moment. Something that these people could never imagine. Jesus, at eight days old, is gonna be presented in the temple. 12 years after that, he will astound the teachers of the law and the high priests, and this will shake their understanding of who God is to its very core. At the age of 30, just like the prophets before Jesus, they will all gather to hear his teaching because they're so caught up in it. They're so enamored by Jesus's teaching. They love his words so much. But then three years later, 
just like they did to the prophets they claimed to love and lift up. They cursed and they murdered. And when they do that, the entire earth is gonna shake. Literally, the entire earth is going to shake. The curtain in the temple that separates the holy place from the most holy place, that separates God from the people, the temple is going to shake and that curtain is gonna tear down the middle. God is shaking his earth in a little temple, in a little place. And three days later, Jesus is going to rise. And the transformation of our hearts, this transformation that Moses promised at the end of Deuteronomy 30, thousands of years earlier is going to be fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So there's a shaking that's coming to all things. There's a shaking that's coming to us. And all we have to do to acquire this, all we have to do is accept Jesus. That's it. That's it. All we have to do is accept him. When I read Haggai, I am so encouraged by what God is going to do. His word is being fulfilled through the prophets. The message of the prophets is to call the people back to him. The message this morning to you is to call you back to what God is calling you to, to the person of Jesus Christ. To join the shaking movement, not just in our community, but in our neighborhoods and in our families. This is what God wants from us. He's calling us to join him. He's calling us home. Let's take another 30 seconds and reflect. God, we are thankful for the words of the prophets. We are thankful for those who, who would speak truth to us. We're thankful for those that you have called and set apart to be faithful teachers of the truth. We're thankful for the discomfort that they cause us because that discomfort is born from love for your son, Jesus. And it's his name that we lift up. Amen.